dark is also seen in a very negative way. And I no longer see it as such. There's such rich, potent magic in the darkness. There's such potential for insight and transformation and alchemy in the darkness. Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. Cheryl, we are here in the month of October. We are a few weeks away from Halloween and... All Saints Day and the Day of the Dead and all of these holidays that kind of wrestle with darkness and death and spooky things <laughs> in mm-hmm. the case of Halloween. Um, and also, I mean, remembrance and ancestors and, and those things too. Mm-hmm. But we thought kind of in that spirit, we would talk about a topic that you have you have talked about quite a bit on your blog and in your work, which is the witching hour, that time of the night when we wake up and we are just filled with something really difficult, whether it's dread, terror, regret, anxiety. It's like it feels almost otherworldly. Even if we struggle with anxiety during the day, there's something about the witching hour. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it the darkest the darkest time of the night too? I feel like I think of that that Mamas and the Papas song where they say the darkest <laughs> hour is just before dawn. <laughs> mm. And what's interesting is that I myself I don't wake up during the witching hour that often. I am a night owl, so I will pretty often stay awake until 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. and then sleep through the night. So I might be up very late, but knock on wood, I've been lucky (laughs) enough to not struggle too much with waking up a lot during the night, except when I was in like the worst of relationship anxiety a few years ago. But when we decided to do this episode, I had a feeling it was going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something happens with this podcast where I will say in general, I do find myself over the past, since we started, what, two and a half years ago or something? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And just being in conversation with you, you know, regularly about these topics and talking to other people and really tapping in and re-listening to our episodes as I edit and really sinking in. I am definitely getting more in touch with like that more intuitive side of myself mm. that I feel like I tr- I kind of tried to distance from for a while because mm. I found it scary. And I just had this feeling that it would happen to me once we decided to do this episode. And sure enough, uh, sometime last week, I think, I woke up from a dream that I I was back at my old cat sitting gig. <laughs> I used to house sit and cat sit for this couple a few years ago. 
And I had a dream that I was there and I realized that I had forgotten to feed the cats for a few days. Mm. And I looked around and they had little bowls of dry food, but I hadn't given them their, their regular wet food. And I felt so terrible. I was like, oh my gosh, like how could I have forgotten to feed these cats? And as I was uh, hurrying to to feed them, I hear a noise in the other room in the dream. And I go into the other room and there's an intruder in there. And I was really scared. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up and it was sometime between, I think it was around 4 a.m. And I woke up from that dream and I felt kind of scared. And I felt that guilt, that guilt of like, how could I have done that? And and this this thought of like, oh gosh, did, have I ever done that in real life? Have I ever forgotten to feed an animal? And then this memory came to me from, gosh, 15 years ago when I was, or maybe more, I I was around 16 years old, I think. And my youngest sister was around one and a half, something like that. And I was babysitting her after school one day. It was like late afternoon, early evening. I was always so exhausted after school and high school because it started so early and I am a night owl. (laughs) I had to get up at 6 a.m. I was exhausted after school Mm. and I dozed off and she toddled around the corner and she went up two little steps. Like I think there was a baby gate, but it was like at the stair landing. And so there were like two steps that she could get up and she fell down the steps and after that, like the next day or whatever, she had a little black eye. <laughs> My <laughs> precious, sweet little sister who I love more than life itself. <laughs> and it was because I had dozed off. I mm. had failed to keep her safe. Mm. And so I'm lying there in the witching hour remembering something that happened 15 years ago. That, by the way, she was fine. Like she had a little black eye and that was really sad, but she was okay. You know, Mm -hmm. she bumped her head, but she was okay. But I'm just lying there in bed like I am a monster. Like how could I have Mm. not kept her safe? How could I have been so lax? And, you know, I think she took another little fall. I think something very similar happened. Um, a few weeks or months later, it was like I was watching her. I got, I was so tired. I mm. lost my attention for a second and she like toddled and fell. And that time was not as bad. But I was like, oh my gosh, did it happen a second? Like, okay, one time, okay. But two times, like you were a monster. Mm. <laughs> and so that's what I associate with the witching hour. It is these really deep and dark feelings either of my own fear of my own monstrosity or darkness or capacity to harm or it will be for me maybe fear of grief like dreams about losing people that i love and then mm-hmm. just having that like oh like fear of that loss and grief or <laughs> It will be, I will have these terrible, horrible nightmares about the types of violence and brutality that we see happen in the world. Mm. 
um, in graphic detail in my nightmares. And I will just wake up like, I don't understand how we all function knowing what Mm -hmm. is possible and what happens to some people. And Mm. that's what happens to me (laughs) in the witching hour. And so when I was lying there with these memory, this intrusive thought of like, did I ever forget to feed an animal? And how could I be such a monster to let my little sister get hurt? I was like, oh, Cheryl and I are going to talk about this. What should I, what would Cheryl do right now? (laughs) And so I'm lying there and I'm like, can I be with this? I don't, I don't know what that even means. Like, Mm. I, I I, honestly, I can't like stop this loop in my head. I don't even feel like all of my senses are online right now. Mm. I feel like I'm in between worlds. And eventually I just reached for my Kindle and I picked up where I left off with Pride and Prejudice, which I'm rereading for like the sixth time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I eventually drifted back to sleep. But I was like, huh, okay, well, <laughs> I don't I don't know what else to do in that moment. Mm. So I'm just very interested to hear some of your thoughts on this because I know that you you wake up a lot more often during that witching hour. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a lot of experience with learning like how to relate to it. Yes. It's such a good starting point. And I have so much to share about what you shared. I want to start with a definition for what is the witching hour and maybe where that term came from. Mm-hmm. It's such a charged phrase, the witching hour, it it grabs attention. And I got curious, what, where does this come from? And so this is from Britannica.com. Witching hour, also called devil's hour in folklore, the time at night when the powers of witches and other supernatural beings are believed to be strongest, usually occurring at midnight or 3 a.m. The term also has a modern colloquial meaning that refers to a time of unpredictable or volatile activity, such as the unsettled colicky colicky sleep of infants or the final hours of stock trading. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, our capitalist society has to connect it back to stock trading. Yes. (laughs) It is said that during the witching hour, the boundary between the living and the dead becomes blurred. And the living are more sensitive to the spirits of the dead. Witches, sorcerers, and fairies were among the spirits and figures believed to have stronger powers during these times and to carry out their mischief or dark practices at night. So what I want to say, first and foremost, is that I think this is a patriarchal definition Hmm. that has some pretty strong twinges of misogyny and how we think of witches mm. as doers of evil, doers of mischief and dark practices. And mm. this is how we have this is how men have told the story of powerful women. <laughs> women who are perhaps more in touch with their intuition with what we might call magic, but really is some connection to the unseen world, think of Juniper in Wise Child, who was branded as a witch by the village people, right? And not as a good witch, not as Glenda, the good witch, right? 
but as a bad witch, even though they would all come to her for her healing powers and gifts when they were sick. But she was banished, essentially, and she wanted to be living separate from them anyway. But this is how we have seen powerful, intuitive, sorceress, priestess women. Now, the word priestess doesn't carry the same connotation as witches. And I think the word priestess is making a comeback in our modern spiritual world. But when we think of witches, we typically don't think of something positive or someone positive, right? So this definition is very interesting to me. I agree with some of it that there's there's a blurring of a boundary between the living and the dead, or be, we could say between the conscious and the unconscious. Like you said, you felt like you weren't even fully in this world. Um, so those hours are liminal time. They're time when the veil is thin, but I don't see it as a dark time, at least not in the negative sense of the word dark. And again, I think the word dark, as I learned in my descent into darkness this past winter, that the word dark is also seen in a very negative way. Mm. And I no longer, I no longer see it as such. Um, So there's such rich, potent magic in the darkness. There's such potential for insight and transformation and alchemy in the darkness. And yes, it's it's the time of dreams. It's the time of nightmares, which are, we're so afraid of nightmares, but the way I understand nightmares, they're the psyche's way of pounding on our inner doors to get our attention when we're not paying attention to something that is very important. Um, Jeremy Taylor, the dream worker, used to always say there are no bad dreams. There's just stronger dreams. So we have this window of heightened awareness into inner places that might need our attention. And it doesn't mean that these are awarenesses that are necessarily easy to take in or see. And and I want to also underscore, as I often do, because I know a lot of people listening will take this literally and say, oh, but I had a dream that I was supposed to leave my partner, and this is someone struggling with relationship anxiety. Or I had a dream that I have cancer, and this is someone who struggles with health anxiety. So dreams speak in the language of metaphor, right? We want to be very cautious about not taking the first interpretation and the literal interpretation. So not always easy to sit with a strong dream like came for you. And it is the middle of the night. Time slows down. There's no place to hide. There's no distractions. And so we come face to face with ourselves. And yes, there are tools, I think, that can be helpful in that time so that we're not either swallowed up in terror or shame or whatever it is that has come, or we just distract. And not that there's anything wrong with distraction. Sometimes that's just exactly what we need to do. If we maybe have tried to turn to a tool or we just have no clue in that moment. And so, beautiful. You started reading Pride and Prejudice until you fell back to sleep. Nothing wrong with that. But to explore this more deeply and... Yes, I'm very familiar with the hours between two and four or three to five. 
And I would say at least once every couple of weeks, I am awake at those hours. Um, It no longer scares me. I don't have anxiety about it. I know I will fall back to sleep. When it first started happening, I would get anxious because then then the, the sleep anxiety would set in. What if I don't get back to sleep? I have clients tomorrow. Oh my gosh, or my kids. And especially when they were younger and how am I going to function? But I learned to work with that. And so I don't have anxiety about being awake and I don't have anxiety about the darkness. Um, and so I have, I have things to share that might be helpful if this is something that you struggle with, even if it's only something that happens once every six months or once a year, that they're like, like all of the way I understand anxiety and all of our symptoms of psyche and the unconscious, that they are messengers and that when we turn to face them, we can learn some things that might aid in our growth and our healing. So this dream you had, Victoria, where yes. you are back at your old cat sitting gig and you realize you have forgotten to feed the cats for several days mm. and you feel terrible, you're scrambling to, to feed them and you hear a noise and there's the intruder standing there and you are terrified. Intruders in dreams are terrifying. I've had that <laughs> dream 200 times, 2,000 times, a lot. So it's a terrifying image. It will definitely grab your attention and usually wake you up in that moment. From a Jungian perspective, the intruder coming into the house is actually a positive signal. It's, it's the breaking through into consciousness. So if the house represents the self, you are in a house and there's something new, there's a new consciousness that is breaking in, that is intruding. We don't know what that is yet, but the dream gives some clues that I have forgotten to feed the cats. And so interesting that it's cats and cats are also associated with witches and Mm. the feminine (laughs) and the middle of the night and our intuition. Um, And often when I go downstairs in the middle of the night, there's Tashi awake sitting in one of our windowsills, staring out into the night, wishing I would open a door so that she could leap out into her (laughs) blessed night that she so loves. Um, But we don't let her do that because there are coyotes and other critters around. But there she is. And she's very much my my night kin um, in those hours. So here's the cats in your dream. You have forgotten to feed them. So to me, what comes to mind, and I and it makes perfect sense that you went to the literal. Oh my gosh, when have I forgotten to when have I forgotten to take care of something, somebody? And this memory came back of your youngest sister, and then all the shame that just wash washing over you. I don't know that anything good came from that, right? There's and 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 there's this piece of you that has never forgotten it and never forgiven yourself for that. Yeah. But but there might be some gems, right, in terms of what we can bring to this altar of night and the power of night and the the cauldron of night, the great witch's cauldron, what we can put in there, we can transform when we do it with consciousness. And so we want to hold this piece that there's there's this 
place where you haven't forgiven yourself. And tapping back into our shame episodes, we know that this runs strongly for you, this place of, it's not hard to access that place of, oh my gosh, <laughs> am I a terrible monster, right? It's, nope. <laughs> it's alive and well as it is for so many people listening. Yes. Um, and so I would propose that there's some opportunity that that's where you went in, in consciousness and in, in wakefulness, that there's some opportunity to place that into the night, that place of shame, that, that belief of I shouldn't be forgiven. Right? I can't forgive myself because that is unforgivable. Even though if anybody else was telling you that story, you would forgive them. Mm. Right? You would come from compassion and you would say all the things, all the reasons why that is a totally forgivable incident. It's pretty obvious from the outside, right? You're you're 15 or 16, you're exhausted. You know, let's blame the ridiculous school schedule that makes teenagers get up at 6 a.m. for starters. Right? That doesn't honor rhythms that you're a night owl and that's not your rhythm. And you were quite simply exhausted, right? If only that to give it a douse of compassion. But what I would be more interested in, other than the literal, is what do cats represent? Right? What part of you are you not feeding? Or what part of you have you maybe just started to feed and there's this new consciousness around this part, this cat-like intuitive body, how interesting that you started this whole episode today by saying yeah. through the podcast, <laughs> you've become more in touch, reacquainted with your intuitive side. Yeah. Yeah, to the point where I, I don't want to get too off topic. I'll make this very quick. But just noticing the intuitive part like I just last week, I decided to log out of Instagram. I just had had it. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I'm going to log out. Mm. And I'm not, it's not going to be a 30 day challenge or a 60 day <laughs> cleanse or a, you know, it's not going to be, I, I just, I just want to log out and yes. I'll log back in when I feel like logging back in. And it yes. felt so much lighter and more intuitive than I would have ever approached that before. Mm. In the past, it would have been like, I'm so bad because I'm on social media too much. I should cleanse myself of my badness for like 30 days. Oh no, I cheated. You know, like the, the whole yes. thing would be this like rigid, kind of more punishment minded approach. And I just noticed this intuitive sense of like, I got to step away and I don't need to know you know, it doesn't need to be this very rigid thing. And, yes. you know, like one day yesterday, I logged back in for a second to make sure no one had messaged me something important. And then I mm. logged back out, you mm. know, and that was that. Mm. So, yeah, I am noticing a little bit more of this intuitive part say, you know, go walk in the woods now. Yeah. Okay. You know, like oh. be a human first, like make yourself some breakfast before you start working. Just yes. it's okay. 
Um, and I think part of that, like as you were talking about the dream and, you know, the house and the intruder and all of these things, I did just have this sense of when I think kind of archetypally, mm. kind of moving, being in the transition of moving from like the maiden to the mother. Mm. Whether that is literal or not, I don't know yet if mm -hmm. I want to be a literal mother, but I was, you know, I've been helping out friends of mine who have babies and mm. I've been going about once a week to help my friend with her infant and she went, my friend went out uh, to run an errand and I was holding her little, you know, five week old baby and I felt this like mother energy in a different way way like mm. I was always very good with children you know my sister falling down the stairs notwithstanding um <laughs> I was always from a very young age like drawn to children and children were drawn to me and I always had this very nurturing place in my heart but yes. I think if anything in my young adult years I kind of put some distance up because I truly from the time I was three years old and had a little brother I was always trying to take care of other <laughs> younger children. You know, yes. I always was like, had half my mind going, where's my little brother? Where's my little sisters? How are mm. they doing? Mm. My little cousins, you know, this that kid in the store. I mean, I would cry when I watched uh, children get yelled at in the store when I was mm. a child. I would mm. just, my heart would break if I felt like a child was like being verbally oh. abused. Or in school, if I saw a child being bullied by a teacher, it just destroyed me. <laughs> yes. um, so I don't know, just now here in my early 30s, I just feel this sense of like maybe a movement from that like that place of in my 20s, like, no, I have to stand on my own and be independent and not, you know, take care of myself first and get some ground under my feet. And that's still true. I'm, I'm still doing those things, but mm -hmm. I do feel this like kind of mother energy. So mm -hmm. something about taking care of the cats, um, <laughs> I don't know. And wondering if I'm doing a good enough job or if I, I let them down in some way um, or remembering all of a sudden, oh, I have to feed them. I don't know. Uh, something something around the maiden to mother transition is what kind of bubbled up for me as you were speaking. Beautiful. I love that that bubbled up for you and that you were aware of it. And so often happens when someone repeats a dream back to you that um, something bubbles up from the unconscious. What stands out for me Victoria, as I'm listening to you, first of all, it, it's it's about shame. That's what what mm. you were s drowning in shame by the end of your witching hour experience, mm. right? And the dream you say in the dream, I had forgotten to feed the cats for several days, and I have your dream written in front of me. But then. Yeah. There was dry food out in <laughs> yeah. bowls for them. <laughs> so wait a minute. <laughs> they weren't starving. They Cats. were not 
starving. Right. They just didn't have their primo wet food. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You had not forgotten to feed the cats for several days. In fact, that was not true. You had forgotten to give them their wet food, (laughs) but they were fine. And the lies that shame tells us. And so- where you ended up was I am a monster and yeah. what such harm. And yet what you're describing about your young self that you would cry in a store when you would see a child getting yelled at or in class, like you are such a beautiful, empathic heart-filled, heart-centered human being. Does that mean that you don't have parts of you that aren't fantastic? Of course you have those parts. We all do. That's just being human. But if we want to play opposites game, there's monsters (laughs) and then there's Victoria. (laughs) I think it's like, it's the, yeah, it is really interesting that there's that detail of like, well, there's dry food, but Uh (laughs) um, because I think that piece around, okay, yes, I tried, but I didn't do it perfectly. And I, Mm. I, you know, I think there's that piece around just any mess up, any lapse. Like, you know, if you, if, if your attention lapses when you're watching a baby for one minute, they, you Mm -hmm. know, something bad can happen. So I think it's just that wrestling with being a human who, and also being, you know, like I have all sorts of regrets from when I was younger about ways that I couldn't intervene or didn't know how to intervene for others who were suffering um, when I was younger, especially, I would say. It mm-hmm. still happens now. So there's with that sensitivity, there's also, I think, often just that feeling of never enough. Like I'm so aware of it and I can't or I fail to address it, you know? So I feel like that's part of it. Yes. And Coming back to the witching hour, the potency of being able to name that place of I am just one human. I can't intervene in every situation. You're naming it as regret. I would encourage a different word, which is powerlessness, heartbreak. Mm. Regret indicates that you actually could have done something. Mm. You were a child. You were young. Even as adults, there's there we have limited capacity to affect change. We can do what we do and show up how we show up. And the world is much bigger than we are. As we talked about in our World Pain episode, which I re-listened to this week. Yeah. So it's like taking taking the pieces that show up in the witching hour and recognizing that there is an, a, an increased capacity to heal when we, when we have enough of a, a working self inside, a, 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 a parent, a wise self inside, something solid enough that we're not totally drowning, that we can then maybe journal a bit, um, even just imagining placing this part, oh, the shame has gotten activated and placing it into 
the cauldron or the water or the ocean or the sky. The way that I understand the witching hour is the same way that I understand, like I said, all of our challenges as opportunities and messengers and as windows. So this is how I understand transitions. This is all of my work about transitions condensed into 3 to 5 a.m., right, where we see things with more clarity, where the veil is thinner. And I like to break it down into the four realms of self, right? Which, what messages might be communicated from my body, from my heart, from my mind, from my soul? One of those, two of those, all of those. And to be curious about each, and, and it's not that you're going to get answers in that moment of 3 to 5 a.m., but over time, naming the pieces that show up and being curious and exploring them, you will land on some really important keys and clues that will facilitate more well-being. So for example, it took me years to understand, and it was only when I worked with a nutritionist that I understood, she told me that there was a really important window in the afternoon between three and five around blood sugar. So I'm starting in the physical realm that for me, if I don't eat in that window and it's a common time not to eat because we've had lunch and then we're like, oh, it's just a couple more hours till dinner. For me, if I don't eat some kind of solid protein in that window, my blood sugar tanks and it doesn't recover until morning and I wake up between three and five starving, like stomach rumbling, starving. So. This inverse of 3 to 5 a.m., we look at 3 to 5 p.m., is fascinating to me on the physical level, also on the spiritual level, which I'll get to, because there's also an inverse there. There's a correspondence between 3 and 5 p.m. and 3 and 5 a.m. For me on the physical level, if I don't eat in that window, I will almost certainly be awake and if I don't exercise enough, I will most certainly be awake. Hmm. I have a high need to discharge energy during the day. Um, that's just my body. Everyone's body has different needs, different rhythms, different requirements. That's my body. I carry a lot of energy in my legs. And so if I don't do leg intensive exercise like hiking or weights or elliptical or a lot of walking, um, it doesn't have to be every day, but most days there's a buildup and then I get what some people understand as restless leg, where like it's a mm. horrible agitated feeling in my legs. Um, so in my earlier years of parenting, I didn't have the time to exercise like I do now and that was happening a lot and it was just this horrible feeling of waking up in the middle of the night with this, oh, this energy in my legs. So luckily, I have more time now. My kids are older. That doesn't happen very often anymore. Then we shift into the heart realm. The heart is the realm of emotions and also relationships. And so many emotions can show up in the middle of the night, in the witching hour, like you're sharing and you had shared in the beginning, anxiety, 
disappointment, shame, terror. And I think underneath that, as I often share, is grief. Not always, but often. So when I wrote one of the articles, I have a couple of articles on The Witching Hour on my blog, and in one of them, in the comments, somebody shared this, which is so interesting to me. She says, I'm a waker of the early morning too. Though it wasn't always this way, I can now appreciate the beauty of this pure time, sometimes even connecting to my heart and guidance. My hurt protective parts are left to rest until sunrise. I think it's when I haven't been tending to my grief or other emotions, but for me, mainly grief, that I wake up around 4 or 4.30. My grief is shy and only comes out when it feels safe. It's interesting that in traditional Chinese medicine, there's a cycle of renewal. 3 to 5 a.m. corresponds to the lung organ, and the lung's emotion is grief. The lung is also a yin organ, which is feminine and nourishing. I remember from my brief studies that the lungs are responsible for inspiration-breathing in spirit qi. So grief often finds us in the witching hour. We can stay busy all day and then in the dark and quiet of night we're awakened by a dream or some other way that psyche taps on our doors and when we slow down enough, when we become curious, when we turn inward into this sacred feminine time, not mischievous, dark magic, evil feminine time, like the negative masculine has has brainwashed to believe. We notice often a twinge of grief, or maybe more than a twinge of grief. And this happened for me just a few nights ago. Not unusual for me. I woke up. I needed to eat. I went downstairs. And when I came back up and settled back into bed, I noticed some grief in my heart. And I will say, I haven't felt as much grief lately since Everest has left for college. It was such a tidal wave. Not only those days leading up and the few days after, but the year or two leading up. It was such a tidal wave. And also, like I mentioned in that episode of this transition, all of parenthood is so filled with the bittersweetness of the joy and the grief at every stage, watching kids grow up. And like I said in that episode, there is some relief of, okay, he's grown, right? The thing that I was so dreading and grieving at every birthday and every milestone and every transition, he's grown. And we have Asher bringing up the rear, but he's not far behind. So to feel that grief at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. that night, it was, it was sweet because I haven't really been in that, in that place. It felt like autumn grief and some memories started to come, bodily somatic memories, being pregnant with Asher, 
Autumn is always pregnant with Asher time. And young Everest bringing me green apples when Dave was away. He had to he had to be away for a lot of the early part of that pregnancy for work. It was just Everest and I in our first autumn in this house. I had never seen so many leaves. There were just leaves everywhere and raking leaves and Everest jumping in leaves. And so this grief place came back in around the passage of time. And this image arrived. And as the blog reader commented, this time not only of grief, but of inspiration dash breathing. And I understand inspiration in that context means breathing, to inspire, to breathe in. But also, this can be a profoundly creative time. We know that night is associated also with creativity. And so this image arrived of the grief that was living in the underside of these light-filled, death-filled leaves that we see everywhere in autumn. Leaves lit by autumn light and made so beautiful, even in death. Filled with light, filled with death, and how easy it is to to walk past that subtle grief. I, I, I then tracked back and remembered, oh yeah, I did have a moment of grief walking through our yard. But it was moving quickly, the day's moving along. And now in the, in the morning dark, in the dark dark, I can let it in. Made space for it, breathed, and fell back to sleep. said around powerlessness that really stuck out to me because I think like you said during the day we have all these defenses and coping mechanisms to try to make ourselves feel like we are in control Mm -hmm. we have to right like focus on things that we can control to function and absolutely but then sometimes what happens in that witching hour is we we feel the powerlessness like deeply, you know, like it's unavoidable. Mm. And what's coming up for me that I just am very curious about how you manage if it happens for you. I'm curious when when it is one of the the more uh, terror-based witching hour moments of mm-hmm. having that deep awareness of the the worst of what humanity is capable of, like the most violent, the most brutal, the most inexplicable, the most inexplicable suffering, and even even the brutality of nature at times. You know, mm-hmm. is that something that comes up for you? And and what is it like to be with that energy in the witching hour? Mm. I wouldn't say it's a place that comes up for me in the witching hour. 
It doesn't mean it doesn't come up at other times, but my response is the same. It's still grief. It's heart wailing, weeping, sobbing, grief. Linking it back to your dream and the place where you landed of terror and the place of, am I a monster? To me, the work is the same as I was talking about before in terms of parsing out the shame from the truth, parsing out the, the, the dark dark, the evil dark from the from the good dark. And the good dark, I mean the, the richness, the, the potency, the power of the night, right? The power of the feminine. And that so often with highly sensitive people, there can be emerging this permeable boundaries where anything we see out there becomes something that must live inside of me. And you know, maybe on some metaphoric level it does, but it would not be accurate or fair or kind to say, oh, therefore I, therefore a monster lives inside of me. Well, from a Jungian perspective, we can also explore that. Well, what is, what does my inner monster look like? But to say it as a categorical global truth, I am a monster. No. Right. Do I carry within me the capacity to cause harm? Yes. Yes, I do. We all do. But that doesn't mean that I'm a monster. Shame is a monster. Shame is a monster until we, again, turn toward it like we talked about, become curious about it, have a relationship to it, give it some love in some way. And so I would encourage any, anyone struggling with anything that comes up in the witching hour to see it the way we would see a dream as aspects of psyche, as metaphor, as parts of self. And that we have an increased opportunity. We have, when the veils are thin, to see those parts of self. But that requires, as I've said, having another part of self online that remembers, oh, wait, what is the healing opportunity in this moment? What is the message from Psyche? You know, what, what is coming through the dream, through the night, through the unconscious that might want to be seen and known and ultimately loved? So then we shift into the, the spiritual and creative realm of self. And as I said, I mean, this is my favorite. This is my favorite thing to talk about these days, that this can be a deeply creative time. I have written many, many blog posts. Many of the posts that you all have read have been written between 3 and 5 a.m. And sometimes on my phone. 
Like sometimes I'm not even, or sometimes in my journal and then I transcribe it. Very rarely do I get my whole computer right. I just grab my phone and and write. And so to know that that potential lives there, that we can take even a dream image. There's also been a lot of poetry that I've written in those hours. Um, when I was writing The Wisdom of Anxiety, passages would come in those hours. And then there's this spiritual piece. So as I mentioned, I have come to understand or see in my own seeing, and this is not like scientific, um, that 3 to 5 a.m. is the inverse of 3 to 5 p.m. And so it mirrors what happens or doesn't happen during those afternoon hours. So just like the body has needs, like my body needs certain things between 3 and 5, 8, 3 and 5 p.m., that the soul also has needs and my soul has certain needs. And if I don't attend to them, I might be awakened in the witching hour by those unmet needs. In many spiritual traditions, 3 to 5 p.m. is is a prayer time, sometime in there, not the whole time, but sometime in there. So we have morning prayers in many traditions. We have evening prayers, but we also have afternoon prayers during that liminal time, just before nightfall. There is so much wisdom. There's such wisdom to these prayers because as many highly sensitive people know, and as we talked about in the nighttime episode, night can be a time when anxiety ramps up. And it often starts when the light starts to fade in those late afternoon hours. And again, when I went through what felt to me like an apprenticeship with night last winter, one of the anchors for me, and it became a non-negotiable anchor, was to establish a short afternoon prayer ritual, very short, five to 10 minutes. It's called mincha in Judaism, and it means to sweeten, as in to sweeten the evening. When we take even just five minutes in those hours to step out of the rhythm or the flow or the grind of our days, as the case may be, we orient toward a healthier rhythm. We recalibrate because our day goes on. We might start in a grounded place or not. I know morning is difficult for a lot of people. But as the day goes on, we might get further and further away from that well of our morning practice if we have one. But this is a window of time to recalibrate. And for me, I have found that if I don't take that time to recalibrate in the afternoon to tap back into spirit, to to connect to my land, and you know, the practice (laughs) was really simple that I started last winter. And I will say it has fallen away in these recent months, and I hope to reestablish it before the time changes in early November. But the ritual was so simple for me, and it was taking a little handful of peanuts and leaving a few 
in different spots along the creek for the squirrels. And I don't know, maybe you're not supposed to feed the animals. It was just a few. <laughs> but <laughs> if anyone's listening. They're going to they're gonna find it in the trash anyway, They're going right? to find it. I mean, they're constantly running through our land with a big peanut in their mouth. I didn't give them, <laughs> like with the shell and everything. So, like, you know, somewhere they're finding them anyway. And it was to connect to the squirrels, but it was also to connect to the land, to the trees. And I would, and I would sing. And I would sing a Jewish prayer as I would walk down to the edge of our property and then back up and leave a few peanuts on the chair, on a tree branch, same spot on the stone that goes down to the creek. And then the next day they would be gone. And, you know, it was, it was this recalibration, but also this reciprocal, this reciprocity of blessing the land, you know, blessing the beings that share this land with us, that we share with them. So if I didn't do that at that time, I would feel unmoored going into evening. I was in such a vulnerable time in those days and also probably the most spiritually rich time of my entire life that if I didn't do that, it was I was too unmoored. I was unsteady. And it was one of the more potent teachings that I gathered from that time, from that descent into darkness that I, you know, that I still carry with me today. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but that I think I will always carry with me. So the creative potential, what poem might want to be written, what, what song might want to be written in those hours and the spiritual opportunity um, my rabbi once said to me years ago when I was talking about being awake in the middle of the night, she said, well, it's a great time to meditate. And it had never occurred to me, oh, I could just sit up in bed or just lie down or whatever and meditate. And it is one of the ways that I, that I go back to sleep as I draw in prayer. I draw in Hebrew letters. It's not necessarily a sitting meditation, although sometimes it is, but it's um, more often a, a, a calling in meditation. That's so beautiful. And it made me think of something that I think you would find really interesting, which is that my grandfather, who I never met, your husband's father, mm -hmm. lived for years, as you know, at a Cistercian monastery. He was preparing to become a monk, but it takes a long time and he yes. didn't end up taking his final orders. But I went to go visit that monastery in Virginia years ago, and I learned that the monks they pray vigils at 3.30 in the morning, hmm. every morning, in the chapel, in the woods. Mm. And if you're on retreat there, like I was doing a little self-guided silent retreat, 
everyone is silent, um, except the monks when they chant or if they have to speak to do business or <laughs> whatever. But you can go into the chapel in the woods at 3.30 in the morning for vigils. And I was too spooked. I couldn't <laughs> do it. It was so quiet there. There were no lights. Like there were no street lights. It was wow. so quiet. And so they they have this land and uh, they live under the rule of St. Benedict, who I'm not an expert, but my understanding is St. Benedict uh, really emphasized reciprocal relationship with land and stewardship of the land and love mm. of animals. And it was spooky to me at the time to imagine <laughs> mm -hmm. walking through the dark to go to these vigils. But I love the idea of any time that one of us is awake at 3.30 in the morning, mm. somewhere there are people praying, you know? Yes. <laughs> and it's, you know, religion is complicated. Maybe thinking of Catholic monks praying isn't a comforting thought to you, but somewhere <laughs> someone is praying for mm. for peace, for, you know, for, for all beings to be happy and free, you know? Um, so... I just thought that was really interesting that you drew attention to that time period and its mirror opposite and that there are these traditions where in that very hour, mm. people are rising out of bed to pray. Mm. I love that so much. And the other thing I wanted to say, and it reminds me of that, is that we have a very rigid idea of sleep in Western culture. Yeah. <laughs> and we think it has to look one certain way where you go to bed at 11 and you wake up at seven, or even if you go to bed at 12, you wake up, you get seven or eight hours and they're continuous hours. And that's not everybody's rhythm and that's not how sleep has always been for people. There has been, and I forget the term, but there is a term for a type of sleep where you sleep for a couple hours and then you wake up and you actually do some work mm -hmm. and then you go back to sleep. And I seem to remember that Leonardo da Vinci was a big fan of this, <laughs> of this rhythm. And I mean, he, he accomplished a lot. He accomplished a <laughs> it lot. It worked for him. <laughs> yes. Right. And so, you know, it starts when you have a baby and you get inundated mm. yes. with so much sleep pressure. They have to sleep this amount of hours or it's going to affect their brain development and their all their developments. And oh my gosh, it's insane. The pressure that parents have to try to get their baby to sleep. Um, and as I've shared, our babies never did um, agree to that <laughs> prescription. <laughs> they unsubscribed from those emails <laughs> and they said, no, we do not endorse. We are on our own rhythm. And I guarantee you, their brains are fine. So this idea from birth that sleep has to look a certain way and we carry it with us into adulthood and that's why I say, you know, there's there can be such goodness in those hours once we get past the anxiety around it yes. in terms of, you know, whatever we're afraid we're going to see or if we can't fall back to sleep. 
So thinking about those monks up at 3.30 is so beautiful. And it also brings to mind the Dalai Lama who has said he wakes up at 4 a.m. to meditate and that there's you know, obviously some reason why he has chosen that particular hour to wake up to meditate. Right? Yeah, there's always something really beautiful to me about picturing. I think that's that's where I feel the most spiritual comfort is just in thinking about all the other human beings. Like inevitably there are other human beings lying awake in their bed right now. Yes. What do I wish for them? You know? Yes. Or how am I connected to them right now, maybe? Or there are other human beings who are who are meditating right now, who are, mm-hmm. you know, who treasuring this time. And I think that piece that you said around the anxiety about not getting enough sleep and oh my gosh, it's so bad. It's so bad. I have to get the sleep. Yes. That is so huge. And I think it 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 kind of relates back to what I was saying about approaching, you know, Instagram and and deciding to take a little break from it didn't come from a place of it's really bad for you, getting mm-hmm. off it is good for you <laughs> in mm-hmm. the same way that sometimes the more that we pressure ourselves with thinking, I need to get this much sleep or it's very bad for me to wake up. Yes. The more we struggle. So finding some way to relax with it a bit, I feel mm-hmm. like is really, really important and helpful. And I love what you're saying about imagining other people who are awake in those hours. When my friend Carrie and I, we were going through this at the same time years ago, and I will say that there is for sure a hormonal component. Um, There has been for me at different times of, uh, especially in my mid to late 40s, noticing those hormonal changes that I would wake up a lot more in those hours. So for anybody listening who's in midlife, perimenopause, menopause, um, there is that hormonal component. And Carrie and I were going through a lot of this at the same time. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if there was an app that you could just log in and see all the people Mm. awake? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it would just show up as like a little light Um, across the planet. And if you wanted to make contact, you'd be like, hey, are you awake? I'm awake too. Yeah. And and the this camaraderie, the solidarity, the comfort, right? The comfort of knowing you are not alone in the night. Oh, that's so beautiful because I think it can also be a feeling of aloneness. Yes. Especially if we are physically alone. When Martin goes off to you know, fight fire and and I'm sleeping alone for the first time in a few months, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm m- much more likely to wake up and feel afraid. And so that sense of connection, yeah, that's so beautiful to imagine just seeing little pinpricks of light of the yeah. people who are awake with you. <laughs> yes. And knowing like you can text them and you're not going to wake them up because yeah. they're, they're already awake. And, yeah. and I will say with the phone, you know, I've said before, I don't sleep with the phone in my bedroom. Um, sometimes I'll go get it in the middle of the night. Sometimes I won't. Um, and to be just gentle and generous with ourselves in terms of turning to it first as a source of comfort and also recognizing that sometimes it can get our brains going and keep us awake longer. Um, 
but it's really just tuning in to what feels right for you on that particular night, not being formulaic or rigid, but knowing that sometimes the phone really can be a source of huge comfort. No question about it. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, thank you, Victoria. Thank you to Jarrett Farkas for the use of our beautiful new theme music. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe or follow, leave us a review, share it with a friend, and consider joining our Patreon, where we share regular bonus content and also host virtual meetups. Visit patreon.com slash gathering gold to learn more.